there's the top 1%, the billionaires and multimillionaires. Then pretty far down the ladder actually is the next 19%. Then if you've gone to college or even better, gotten a graduate degree, you've added some percent and you can move up or stay financially successful that way. But there's still the other 80% who are left behind. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. Come on in. Glad you're joining us today for our little talk on how the rich get richer. You know, Julie, it's like we have two different economies in America, one for the rich and one for the rest of the folks who work for the rich. (laughs) It's true, but you wouldn't know it with all the positive news about the economy out there. Employment rates are so great, and the stimulus package was so helpful. It sounds like everyone in this country's got it made. It might sound like that, Julie, but the share of wealth owned by the top 1% was rising pretty quickly before, and in the last few years, there's been even more of a diverging path between the haves and the have-nots. The top 20% of Americans have been doing very well. That's nice. But what about the bottom 80%? (laughs) Are they feeling secure financially? People with wealth feel security in knowing that they and future generations of their family have more than they need to live out wealthy lives. They're pretty protected from the ups and downs of the economy. That's how it's all set up. The United States economy has the rich getting richer and workers' incomes not advancing at all. Even with increased wages, we now have increased inflation. Yeah, the truth is that most Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Wealth is advancing and the gap is getting larger every day. Then the top 30% of the socioeconomic ladder also graduate college. And there's a lot of value in that, even if it isn't money or accumulated wealth, it's potential. For many, it starts with what's some called social capital. That's where you learn how to interact with others to get ahead. Sure, you learn the nuances of the ways the world works and how to communicate so you can move into new areas and hopefully up the ranks of those areas. It's not taught in class exactly. No, it's not taught. You make connections. You become part of the club, the elite, who help each other out with getting jobs. You know someone who knows someone. You can get help advancing in careers, locking in loans, joining private clubs. Well, this isn't quite to that level. But I was once called to the private office of one of my professors to be told that if I wanted to get ahead, I should stop coming to school dressed casually, but should dress professionally all the time so people would begin to see me that way. I hated that. But he did say one thing that always stuck with me and that I never forgot, because my response to him was anger that maybe one to never change the way I dress. And I told him that. And he said, You can be angry and never change the way you dress in reaction to this, or you can think about what the best way to respond would be, even if that is to never change the way you dress. But if that's what you decide, do it based on your independent judgment, not in reaction to what I have to say or anybody else. Cindy, I'm I'm sure he believed he was helping you with his advice. 
And that particular advice is not so likely to happen in today's world. Thank goodness. A male professor telling a female student how to dress. Uh Uh-uh. Oh, boy. A piece of me had a major inner tantrum that day. But another part of me grew up a little. Not the part about dressing differently. (laughs) But about being an independent thinker rather than a reactionary one. And that is one of the ways we grow and gain in social capital. That's a good way, though. Being an independent thinker is really important. I agree that to really do it, you have to evaluate whether you're reacting to someone else or choosing for yourself. If we're lucky, we do learn these kinds of lessons a lot of times in college. And there's definitely luck involved. Still, an important way to improve your financial status in life is through education. But like we're saying, it's not only what happens in class, but what happens in the whole college experience that influences us and gets us ready to face the world where it's hard to get ahead and move up if we don't learn to understand some of the ways it works. Yeah, even navigating the college experience is learned and is different for different groups. A lot of first-generation college students or their parents often set the bar at just going to college, which is such a major accomplishment for folks. But these days, even that is often not enough. It's true. And unless you have some knowledge of the college processes, you don't know about the hierarchy within colleges and that there's always another hoop to jump through. An undergraduate education doesn't get you to the places you might think. Right. I think it used to more than it does now. Mm -hmm. It's like, (laughs) it's just another example. The rich keep getting richer. And the more that people go to school, the more school you need to be successful. Mm. For people who don't go to college, and for a lot who do, salaries have still remained around the same place for 30 years. Meanwhile, getting back to to the top 1%, they're making significant gains every year. So there's the top 1%, the billionaires and multimillionaires. Then pretty far down the ladder, actually, is the next 19%. Then if you've gone to college, or even better, gotten a graduate degree, You've added some percent and you can move up or stay financially successful that way, but there's still the other 80% who are left behind. There's quite a difference between the top 20% and the next 10%, and then the rest of the folks have an even huger gap in finances. I guess that would be the other 70%. Right. So what you're saying, Cindy, is that the difference between the top 30% and everybody else is so large. And it makes it look like, and maybe we do have, two different economies. This is almost sounding like three different economies. Because middle class 1% is way up there. You know, that's the problem with this. You can't look at it like an average. You can't, there's no middle class anymore because there's the very wealthy, very tiny percent of people who are not in the very wealthy class. And then there's a whole lot of poor people. Exactly. And the big money is surprisingly not in social services and psychology. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I haven't noticed. (laughs) It's actually what is called the FTE sector. They have a name and it stands for finance, technology, and electronics. Just have to say that is definitely not surprising. No. (laughs) The rest of the country is in what's considered to be the low wage sector. But to be fair, that is only in comparison to the millionaires and billionaires. The huge amounts of money that they have skews the picture so much, it's hard to fathom it. Exactly. There's a large and unfair gap also between the super wealthy 
And people like us who keep a roof over their heads, sometimes two, and who keep their families fed and educated. Right. And then people who can't do any of that. Yeah. Where you are in the financial hierarchy affects everything in your life, including where you live, who you associate with, your health care, nutrition, criminal justice, and of course, your ability to use education to get or stay ahead. Right. And so, of course, race plays an important role in this dual economy, because as we've seen, growing wealth has been stacked against minorities, women, and people living in poverty. Problems have existed with regard to race and income for a long time, and they're rooted in this country's history, like we've talked about. African-Americans and poor whites are stuck in the low-wage arena. It's extremely difficult to get out from under, to get ahead, no matter how hard people try. Right, truly. The uber-wealthy, actually even just those who have slightly more than enough, typically ignore the needs of low-wage earners and keep them at a certain standard of living by offering few opportunities for affordable housing or for quality education or good health care and anything else. Public education has also failed to offer opportunities for Black people to move out of the low-wage sector and poor people in general, you know, because education is neighborhood-based. So it's instead guided them into prisons, often as a result of petty crimes and drug dealing, misguided attempts to get ahead. Right. Mass incarceration has had a tremendous negative impact on Black men and their families. When men go to jail, then Black women become single parents and lose whatever income their partner might have been bringing in. They end up exhausted, trying to work and raise kids the best they can. Even when the men get out of jail, their record of incarceration often makes it hard for them to get any kind of job or housing. It's nearly impossible to get back on their feet. So many end up back in jail. It is an absolutely terrible system that we have. Yes, and people always point to the Black men and women who do get ahead who do succeed in the world at large with good jobs and nice homes. And yes, many do, but the numbers don't really add up. The successes are small compared to the number of people who are struggling to feed and clothe their families. Poor people, especially in communities of color, are largely pushed into inner city neighborhoods where schools, housing, and health services have the fewest resources. And it seems like once people have enough for themselves, they don't think about others. Is this the American way? I don't know, Cindy. Maybe we're a culture that competes but doesn't feel responsible for others. Which seems very short-sighted because obviously, well, obvious to us, apparently not so obvious to a lot of people, things that benefit some, like wealthy people, would actually benefit everyone. People often don't seem to see costs or benefits if it doesn't affect them directly, but we'd all benefit if everyone among us had what they needed to live a decent life and to get ahead if they wanted to. Yeah, it's certainly not the philosophy of the current Republican Party, but there's plenty of evidence that we'd all be better off because lifting up the economy all around us lifts up the economy overall. There's research on it. Well, as the American dream continues to feel impossible to achieve, and because poverty is increasingly hard to move out of, people looking for opportunities often do end up in jail instead of in affordable homes or good schools. And neither they nor their children have great opportunities for moving up or out. While the lives of those in the higher wage areas seem set for life and beyond, it feels nearly impossible for others to move up. It isn't really a ladder. 
There is no latter. It's the haves and the have nots. Part of the dilemma is that this is a circular path, not upward. It just stays unfair and unjust. In fact, the wealthy use the rest of the population as never-ending options for cheap labor. And this has been happening from the beginning. It started with slavery, but still the wealthy use other people to maintain and grow their wealth. They don't mind exploiting others in the service of growing their own wealth and power. A lot of times they think they're being helpful to them. And again, race plays a big part. You know, almost all the states that refused to expand Medicaid, even though the federal government would pay for most of it, were states that had been Confederate. Is it really so egregious to increase health care for people? Apparently for a lot of people it is. They don't believe in the federal government helping anybody. It's a no-brainer, like taking care of people's health. It's amazing that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Those states did rejoin the Union after the Civil War, but sometimes it feels like they really didn't want to. Obviously, a lot of people didn't want to. Yeah. And the concern for more states' rights is at least partly a way for states with the most terrible racial history to continue finding ways to continue their racism. But these connections aren't usually made directly or out loud. Political decisions just don't seem to be made based on the needs or concerns of everyday people. No, sometimes they're made to keep those people down. Even the Supreme Court, as we've discussed before, has not only allowed, but actually empowered the wealthiest people and businesses to have much more than their fair share of influence on political decisions. Supreme Court rulings and public policy itself supports the 1%. And the continued idea of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, the haves and the have-nots. And again, it all seems very short-sighted. How does this end? If the people at the top keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer, does it eventually affect those people up there, the richer? I don't know. I think they become oligarchs, which maybe they already are. We now see the great resignation which is really interesting, where huge numbers of people are just quitting their jobs in the United States, just leaving. Some of them have no jobs to go to. Workers are demanding more. They've just had it. I think the pandemic has made it really clear to them how they've been mistreated. Most of us read The Grapes of Wrath at some point. Does the top eventually topple? Will the workers revolt? Lately, there does seem to be more movement to try to help people in the lower wage economy. Like everything else, the more we try to help, The rich still seem to get richer and also not the ones doing the helping. They've got so much money. They don't possibly have a way to spend it in their lifetime or their grandchildren's lifetime, but they don't give it to people in need. Of course, there are some exceptions to this, but overall, it's the truth. There's a lot of data that shows that people with less money donate money in greater proportion to their income than the wealthy do. Well, I suppose they have a lot more of a sense of what it feels like to struggle, or at least a little more of a sense, they're closer to it. And with all the individuals and community groups doing great work to help people who are living in poverty, there are still structural changes that have to be made to make a deeper systemic change. That doesn't mean we give up hope. Over time, maybe structural change can be influenced from the bottom up. The other thing that we've learned is that we have to do the right thing with or without governmental or other support. We can hope that that support will follow, but even if it doesn't, we've just got to keep working against negative, thoughtless, harmful energy. The world is changing. It's always just a few steps forward and a couple steps back throughout history, but it does inch forward. 
we want to do what we can to keep it moving along. We have to be a part of that and we have to keep it going. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Till next time. Take care.